Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Today, y'all, I'm going back, 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 back. Like high school, my high school year back, I'm actually going to date myself during this, but I'm talking to someone I went to high school with and we're discussing all the things that happens in his life. We're talking about how he's into modeling now and he's written part of a book. He's been on Family Feud. Just a lot of uh, cool conversations. It's a really great conversation that we have. Um, We talk about Arnold's, if you're from Richlands, North Carolina, which is where I grew up at. It's a little small town just outside of Camp Lejeune. um, Camp Lejeune is the Marine Corps base there. And so we talk about things growing up in a small town in the South is like So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you want to see it, head over to YouTube because, y'all, you just have to see it. Um, So I want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast family. And remember, you know what I need you to do? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Look at Movie Star here. He's put his sunglasses on. He didn't have it on right before we started. <laughs> but I'm very honored to have James Thompson join me. James actually went to the same high school I went to. Um, I graduated with his sister, Teresa, but James has been out and about doing amazing things in his life. So, James, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Okay. Hello, everyone. Uh, as the young lady said, I am James Thompson, um, a.k.a. your classic man, a.k.a. Cigar. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm James Thompson. Um, just a humble guy trying to make it big out here in this world, having a great time while I'm doing it. That's basically who I am. <laughs> I like that. And you know what? You have not changed a bit since high school. Not at all. I mean, you I sit there, the way you actually talk, because I think I was a statistician, uh, the basketball team, when you played basketball. Okay, so I got somebody that can actually prove that I did something. See? Some yes. people don't know. For those of you that don't know, James and I grew up in a small town called Richlands, North Carolina. It's very small. The most major thing that it's known for, basically, is being right around Camp Lejeune, and it's known for being the town of perfect water. So, Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I was telling them that we're from a small town called Richlands, North Carolina, the town of perfect water. A lot of people forget that part, the town of perfect water. They forget that part. (laughs) Yeah. So you weren't originally from Richlands, right? No, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I moved down to Richlands when I was in the third or fourth grade. Um, Left for a moment, then came back for good, and... um, I wouldn't trade it for anything, for real. I know. I was reading part of the book that you wrote. You wrote a chapter in the book of love, life, love, and lockup. 
I was mm -hmm. reading that. And that's one of the reasons why I bought it. Cause when you put it out there, I'm like, I want to support someone who's from Richlands. So well, let's talk about that. that. Let's talk about writing that little chapter in your book. Yeah, it, it was um, a couple of years before I actually wrote the book. Um, you know, I was living life, having a great time with life. Everything seemed to be going well. Um, everything except I just for some reason didn't wasn't able to s sustain a long relationship or take a relationship to the next level. And um, I heard an interview with another young man on the radio and it sounded like what, what I went through. Um, my mother was part of a um, domestically violent situation. And because of the things that I saw, somehow it was affecting me to the point to where either I was scared that I would do the same thing to somebody or um, I just didn't want to love someone enough to where they could leave me again. Mm. And um, I actually went to counseling and then it felt like the only thing that I that, that I hadn't done in my life was actually reconnect with my father. So um, I set out on a mission. It took about eight or nine months and um, I went to New York and I met up with him. Um, I actually two years later, I took my son to see him um, because my son, I'm non-custodial. So I was always telling my son that me and him had to have a great great communication it had to be wide open so i was thinking how can i tell him this if i'm not if he doesn't see me communicating with my father mm -hmm. so um the book is basically it starts off with me actually showing up for the visit um i'm fine how are you you could just drop that right there that would be great thank you sorry y'all i had a delivery coming in <laughs> all right real life <laughs> yeah, it was real life so now y'all know this is live so, um, but uh, yeah, the, and the book basically starts off with me showing up to my actual grandmother's apartment that my father now lives in. And it pretty much ends with um, me taking my son to see him. And it's basically, it's something that I don't think in the black community, men and mental health is something that's kind of taboo. And that was the main reason for it, because I, because I wanted to show people that counseling does help. Um, and after I had counseling, man, I was able to just see everything differently. I was able to love people differently. I was able to actually accept love differently. And um, things just kind of opened up for me big time after that moment. Yeah, you just recently got married too, correct? Yes, I did. Um, me and her, we were actually together. We got together pretty much, we was already friends, but we kind of, the minute our relationship after I actually um, connected with my, with my father and um, she was instrumental in me getting my son up there to see my father also. And um, yeah, yeah, we got married last year, right before the pandemic. I mean, right before the pandemic. So it was a test for us right off the rip to make sure that we did love each other because we was around each other for 24 seven, <laughs> for seven straight months, <laughs> period. So, yeah, I think I married the right one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about moving down from you grew up in, in you were born in New York and you moved down south, third and fourth grade. That had to be a culture shock for you. It was. Um, dirt. I was the biggest culture shock <laughs> in Brooklyn. There's no dirt. 
you know, it's, it's cement and it's pavement and, you know, the parks are on cement and they have that actual rubber out in the park. It was, it was really, yeah, it was a culture shock. Um, honestly, the biggest shock though, and a lot of people don't understand when I, when I tell them this, in New York City, in our area, Bedford-Stuyvesant, at that time, the only races, nationalities were black people, mm-hmm. Spanish people, and Jamaican people. That was it. That was it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I had never met a white person up close. Didn't know what racism was, but you know, none of that. So when I actually moved to North Carolina, the first time that I actually shook hands with a white person, it was interesting. It's crazy because I actually, I looked at black people as nighttime soaps. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at white people as daytime soaps. I know it's crazy, but that's the way I did it in my head. And, um, you know, some of my best friends, man, Kevin Marshman, David McGowan, you know, some of my best mm-hmm. friends, you know, were, were white guys. And um, I never, I never really saw racism at all at, at a young age, you know, because it wasn't something that I was looking for, put it that way. Uh, I'm sure it was relevant, you know, with some of the older people. But as far as us, you included, our age bracket, you know, we just kicked it. We had a good time, you know, that type yeah. of deal. Um, that was the, a, a shock. But it was a shock, but at the same time, it was it was a learning type experience because, again, I had never met somebody from that race, so it was a learning experience for me. So it actually, again, these types of things I, I feel is what molded me to who I am today. So let's talk about. Um, I'm just totally lost me. I had a question in my mind while you were talking. <laughs> so how did your mom get to North Carolina? Was she from North Carolina originally? Yes. Um, okay. My mother was born in North Carolina. My grandmother, they, they were from North Carolina, but they actually moved to New York after when my mom and them got of age. They kind of, they moved to New York. And once everything happened with my father, um, she decided, you know, let's go to North Carolina. We're going to start over again. And that's what we did. That, that's how we came down. We already had some family there already. Um, as you may know, um, you know, the white, Patrick White, Teddy White, they're our cousins. Um, mm-hmm. So we had some family there already. I didn't know them. It was my first, when we moved down, that was my first time ever coming to North Carolina. Uh, my sister had already been down before, but I had never been down. Uh, so that's how we ended up coming down. It was basically, it was home to my mother. So it became home to us. Yeah, because I can't see anybody moving from New York to Richlands. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, now it happens. It happens more than you think because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's so in New York. It's this all the time. You know, it's no real relaxed time. And you know, a lot of people sometimes when they come down after they get older, and they were like, "Wow, you know, you can actually relax here, sit outside and breathe." You know, that type of deal. So it, it actually happens more than you, more than a lot of people think. So you talk about, especially in that particular chapter, about being raised by a single mom and you didn't want to disrespect her by having a relationship with your dad because mm-hmm. she did everything she could to raise you and to make sure you and your sister did not want for anything. Yes. Um, 
that 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 was a hard part for me because again i did not want her to think that i was trying to erase anything that she did i didn't want her to think that i was going to foster this relationship and you know kind of forget our relationship um that was one of the things that i had to clear with her um and it was you know i wanted to clear with her also before i put this stuff in the book also um, it was things I always wanted to talk about, but I also knew that was I talked about it, I would have to talk about what got uh, got me and my father to that point. And mm-hmm. what got us to that point is basically my mother had to leave him because of who he was and how he was treating her and us. So, you know, I had to get that, make sure that I got that clearance and she was all for it. Um, she's still all for it. Matter of fact, she asked me to give him a call more than I want to call him. She was like, you talk to your dad. Like, no, she's like, well, you know, you need to give him a call, you know, that type of deal. So she was very supportive of it, really supportive. Um, but yes, that, if she had any issues with it, it wouldn't have happened, honestly. Yeah, because I can imagine that would have been a hard conversation for you to approach her about, to say, hey, yeah. mom, I want to do this. Yeah, yeah. And I think she knew that it was probably something that I had to do. Um, and the thing is, I wasn't looking for an apology from him. I honestly went there not knowing what I want, what was going to happen. I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't expect anything. I just knew that I had to get in the same room with it. If I did that, then I knew everything else would just take care of itself. And it did. So you graduated from Richlands High School. I think you were a couple years ahead of me because you're a couple years older than your sister. So what year did you graduate? I graduated in 1985. Yeah, you graduated with my sister then. Yes. You know who my sister was? I'm trying to think that I graduated. Wait a minute. Hold on. No, who was your sister? My sister, or my main name was Green. It was Karen Green. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> wow. You just don't want to Yeah, how about that? Okay, put my glasses back on. <laughs> See, when I have to think a lot, I take my glasses off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, so yeah, 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 we did graduate together. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she's been gone for almost 26 yeah. years. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yep. But yeah, I, I thought for some reason, I thought you were a year ahead of her. I didn't realize you graduated with her. Yeah, graduated in 85. Um, after I graduated, had um, collegiate opportunities because of sports, but I really didn't get the information that I needed um, about college. And all I could think of is, yeah, you're going to give me three meals and you're going to let me go to school. You're going to give me a place to stay. But all I was thinking about was other things of need mm-hmm. and I was thinking about my mother I didn't want to have to call and ask her for anything especially when I knew that she had my sister still there and my sister was really spoiled so I <laughs> I couldn't I didn't want to take away from her spoiledness so um yeah I, I um I joined the military and I served in the military for six years and then after that what did you do I mean because uh, after that I came back to North Carolina 
Um, I was stationed in California first. I came back to North Carolina, then I was stationed in Europe, in Germany. And when I got out, I became a correctional officer. I was a correctional officer in what it was called, Rockingham, North Carolina. I was there for a year and a half. Uh, Teresa and her husband at the time, they moved to Atlanta. And uh, I came to visit one year and I just fell in love with the city. It had everything that I wanted. Uh, big sports fan. It had every level of sports here, professional, great high school sports, great college sports. Um, it had the arts. There was a lot of plays here. Um, at that time, I was 20-something years old, so there was a lot of clubs here. It's a lot of fun. So um, I came here one Easter and made my mind up that I was coming back. And I went back. I worked for another six months, and I put in my resignation papers, and I moved here. And then you, the acting, when did the acting bug hit? Actually, that didn't hit until I was 40. What am I, 50, I'm 53 now. So I would say it hit about 45, 40, about 47 years old. Um, I used to model a long time ago, long time ago. And um, I've always loved it. And so I ran, met some friends and saw that they were doing some acting things. So I asked them, you know, how could I get into it? And uh, this young lady, she put me in a play. It was an open it's an open book play. So basically, you don't have to memorize the lines. You kind of have the book up there with you. But I kind of caught the bug of acting at that moment. So somebody told me I should do some modeling, do some fashion shows to get into the industry. And that would get me connected with some people. And when I saw the modeling, I, the love came back and I realized how much I loved that. So um, I did that. While I was doing some acting things, I actually won um, ATL Hottest Male Model. Then I started hosting shows. Um, I love doing that too. <laughs> and I won an award for that, ATL Hottest Male Host. The acting thing is still coming along. Um, matter of fact, one of my shows was just on TV today. Somebody hit me up and told me that I was on TV on a court television show. So, um, yeah, looking at that was, was cool, just seeing myself. I hadn't seen myself on TV in a minute, so that was pretty cool. But I would say it really hit basically about six years ago. Now, and, uh, you also were on Family Feud with Steve Harvey, and you kind of made Steve Harvey just stop for a minute. Talk yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of We didn't win, but I'm going to tell you, we had so much fun. It's really, if you ever get a chance to do it, please do. It's basically a free comedy show by Steve Harvey because in between sets, man, he is giving a, a full show. I mean, he's giving you a full show. And um, <laughs> the other family, you know, they was gone. They got to their third strike. And I think the question was, um, if a house was burning, what is the one thing that you would run back in to get. And we was in our huddle and I was like, um, you know, they were saying all the obvious stuff. So, you know, I was like, you know, usually what men want to get, they want to get their, you know, their magazines, their dirty man or their dirty movies. <laughs> and um, that, that's what I said. And it, it really made him stop. 
but we had a we stopped a lot though. Yeah, we we did a lot. I, yeah, me and Steve Harvey had a great time. Um, there was another time at the beginning of the show. Um, I was the first one to go, and you know how usually they come out and they shake hands. Uh huh. Well, instead of shaking hands, I came around the podium and I hugged my opponent instead. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 really just started looking around like, man, what the hell is going on here? You know. So yeah, we we had a good time with it, man. We had a great time with it. Yeah, yeah. Teresa actually touched Steve's face. Uh, yeah, we had a great time. We had so a how great did you time. Get on there. How did you get on that show? Uh, that I had nothing to do with, honestly. My cousin, uh, she actually did it all. She was, I think she was off work. She had had surgery or something. So she was at home and messing around on the computer. And she just started applying for these game shows. And we actually got casted the year before. Um, but got something happened with the time. It wasn't enough time to get us on. So they automatically put us in for the following year. And so we went in under our grandmother's name, um, Johnson, Olivia Johnson. We went in under the, the um, you know, the memorial to her. And um, yeah, that was all that was all my cousin. And um, they just had me to be the lead person because I've been on camera and stuff like that. So that's why they did that. But that was a great time. Yeah, that was a good time. So you're talking about cousin and family. What is the one thing you miss about Richlands? just being able to sit back and have a good time without having to do so much. You know, in rich lands, all you need is a, a shade tree and a cooler. And <laughs> you could end up having almost a family reunion. You know, um, I, I, that's what I miss. I, I miss just being able to go ride down the street and see somebody having something and just stop over there and, you know, just kick it with them here. You know, things have you have to be invited to stuff and because you know, it's such a big city, you don't know everybody type of deal. But I, I think I just miss the, the niceness of the, even though Atlanta is more south, I think there's more southern hospitality in Richlands than it is in, in Atlanta because Atlanta is kind of a mecca, you know, a metropolitan area. So that, that's that's one of the main things that I miss, man. I, I miss Arnold's. Even though it's not there anymore, I'll keep on missing it. Oh God, I miss Arnold. Oh. I think everybody from Richlands misses Arnold's yeah, they man. grew up in the eighties. Whenever I came home, it was a three-piece dark mashed potatoes and gravy, uh, green beans, hush puppies, and a cheeseburger on the side. <laughs> you gotta get that Arnold's burger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's mainly what I miss is is that easy way of just having a good time you know um now that i'm you know i'm really into this cigar world um we kind of do that now um we don't need much you know my wife she smokes cigars so it, she don't she, we don't need much we ride around with a table and chairs in the back of our car all the time so that if we need to just stop and smoke we can you know it's just about the ease of i like having a great time without spending a lot of energy exerting a lot of energy to have a great time. And that's what I miss out, you know, with Richlands, you know, it ain't nothing to just, I mean, if I came home this weekend, nobody has anything planned, but I guarantee you I can go to somebody's house and we end up having a great time. Yep. Yep. That's For sure. Yeah. 
So you've also got a thing on, you, I know on Facebook, but you also have a podcast called Classic Conversations. Let's talk about that because you're getting some really deep conversations on that show. Yes. Uh, I've always wanted acting. Is, is, yeah, I have that bug. But a long time ago, I heard Michael Bazden on the radio. And I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to talk to people just about stuff. And so I've always been kind of looking for the right platform, the opportunity. And um, my co-host, um, his name is Angelo Sykes. The show is called Classic Conversations with JT and Lowe. He already has a couple of other podcasts on his um, urbanatlanta.com platform. So he was like, hey, man, you know, I want to do, we was going to do a sports show. That's what we was going to do at first. Then the pandemic hit. And then with everything, with the, you know, the social uprising, and everything started happening. He was like, hey, man, we got to get this thing started. I said, I'm with it. Let, let, let's get it going. So we basically talk about things within the African-American community, the black community that's happening. Either we'll talk about something that's in the news or we just talk about some things trying to improve our community. Um, it could be anything from telling guys to pull their pants up. Um, it could be anything from um, trying to help youth that end up being incarcerated at a young age and trying to make sure that they know that they're still somebody when they get out. Mm -hmm. um, just yesterday, um, we were talking about Hubert Davis. Um, I'm a North Carolina fan all day, even though I'm sitting up in here in a North Carolina state shirt, but <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a UNC Tar Heel guy, true and true, um, all the way through. And I love the hire of Hubert Davis, mm -hmm. but he made a statement at the end of his, and I, I say it's at the end of his introductory his first meeting with the media. I say that it was at the end of it, but it could be that they just cut it off at that moment. Mm -hmm. But he talked about being, uh, one of the reporters asked him about being um, the first black head coach for University of North Carolina. And he talked about how proud he was. He talked about being um, only the fourth um, black head coach, period, at North Carolina in all of sports. And then he made a statement that kind of confused us where he said, you know, I'm proud to have a white wife and I'm proud that my children are a combination of us both. Again, mm -hmm. I have, nobody on, on my show has any problems with interracial couple. Mm -hmm. I, I, if you fall in love with a green woman or a blue man, mm -hmm. get it, because love is hard to find these days. Yep. But we just felt that for him to say that, it, it, it just, it, it, it brought up some other things saying basically that, you know, in, in the African-American community, sometimes we find ourselves speaking differently, doing things differently to appease other people or to make other people feel comfortable or safe. So we use the Hubert Davis thing as a subject matter, but we based the subject was basically about that. So we talked about stuff like that. And none of us are, are, me or Angelo, neither one of us are experts at this stuff. Mm -hmm. We just figure out, a, you know, something to talk about. And we try and get people on the show. Sometimes we get some people that's 
you know, have some expertise in it. Um, but some, but usually we just want regular conversations because you never know. You don't need a degree to be able to spark the right conversation that might be the dialogue to give you a solution. Mm-hmm. So that's what the show is basically about. Um, just trying to speak about things and, and hear it from the common person. And when I say common, it's not a bad thing, but mm-hmm. usually we only listen to what people that's on mm-hmm. TV says. We only listen to what the athletes or the entertainers, the actors, the actresses, but we, we just try and make our show about what the regular person that works 40 hours a week, what he has to say or what she has to say. Uh, we talked about sexual assault. Uh, we talked about counseling. Uh, we talked about um, domestic violence. So it's it's a wide range of subjects. That's why it's basically called classic conversation. Um, me being a classic man, that's my moniker, my name. That's why I kind of picked that name for it. And it's classic conversations with two Ks. Classic with the K, conversation with the K. And, you know, I honestly have tuned in some just to listen. And like yesterday, I didn't get a chance to tune in, but I was starting to think about what you were saying, because I'm in a, um, I'm married to someone from another race. He's not a black man, but he's an Hispanic man from another country. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, you know, my girls yeah. got a lot of that double standard. Like you're yeah. not white enough for your white friends. You're not Hispanic enough for your Hispanic friends. So they kind of had to make their own way. But right. So, I, yeah. I can only get at that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's what, you know, I try and say that throughout the show. Um, even though we're talking a lot about the black mm-hmm. community, there's a lot of different races that can actually relate to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the situations, everybody has the situations. But, you know, being me as a black man and I'm in the black community, that's the one that I can really speak on. Uh-huh. That's why I have to come from. So I try and make sure doing the show that um, everybody knows we don't hate nobody. Mm-hmm. You know, we just bring it out, especially with all the, the, the killings by police right now. You know, yeah. we have we have my co-host. Um, he's a former police officer. Um, he's actually brought up some points. There's been some times where there was an uproar about a shooting. And he kept saying, you know, the thing that we have to stop doing is jumping up too fast because sometimes we don't know the whole story. And a couple of times he was right about that. You know, there's been some times where we knew the whole story from the beginning, but there were a couple of times where we didn't, you know. So, you know, we try and make sure that everybody knows we don't hate nobody. We're not um, trying to bash anybody in particular, but we are trying to bring certain situations to light and hopefully we can, you know, spark a solution with the dialogue. Yeah, that's the one thing that I've always tried to do is talk to people and learn about their stories because it's only when we learn and listen to each other's stories then we know what somebody else has gone through because we don't know what somebody else may go through. Because that's the reason why I was asking you, moving down from New York to the South, because the South is predominantly, most people stereotypically say the South is racist because that's where slavery was. Yeah, and the thing is, like I said, coming from New York to North Carolina, I didn't know of it. So I didn't know mm-hmm. I didn't know what racist behavior was because I'd never been around it, even though it probably was some racist behavior around me. Matter of fact, I know it was now that I look back. But at the time, I didn't know what it was. Hell, yeah. you know, calling me a boy wasn't, didn't seem racist to me. 
you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just didn't. So, you know, I look back and there are some things, some instances where there were some things that happened that I could say, wow, wow, you probably laugh at me later. And it wasn't somebody my age. It was usually older people that mm-hmm. I was dealing with, you know, um, you know, you think back on it then, and you know, but yeah, moving down at that time from New York, it just, well, I, mean, I just didn't know anything about it. So it didn't, it didn't hit me anyway, you know. Yeah, I can't really at that time think of the only time, let me change that. I remember when Roots was first shown on TV. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time that it stuff kind of started hit me a little bit. And then I found out about, um, what was it? Uh, what was that area called? It wasn't Catherine's Lake. It was, um, was it Nine Mile? Yeah, Nine Mile way out there, like in Back, back Swamp. Yeah, past Back Swamp. I found uh-huh. out, you know, there, there, there was a couple of, um, couple of rebels races out that way. Um, you know, had a couple of battles in Little League Baseball with some guys. And I found out later on what it was. But, you know, I, most of these guys I play high school football with, play basketball with. So, you know, it wasn't that deep. You know, um, I still think to this day that usually racism is something that's led by an older generation. I, mm-hmm. I, I believe that wholeheartedly, even though now I'm part of the older generation, I still think there's an older guard that's still, you know, hold and serve up there. And I, I, I really believe that to my heart. Now you have a son. So how did you raise, or you said you were non-custodial, but obviously mm-hmm. you still had part in, in raising him. How did you raise him? Cause I've talked to so many moms who were scared for their sons now because their sons are, you know, growing up in this age where they're scared of even going outside, putting their hoods up because then yeah. they might get shot down. I'm scared for mine right now. He's actually, he's in the Air Force now. He's actually here. He's sitting in the kitchen waiting on me, you know, because we're doing the interview. But, um, and he has to drive back to Oklahoma tomorrow. I think he's leaving tomorrow. He said he may leave Friday. But that drive mm-hmm. and with the traffic stops that we've just had recently, the one in Virginia, because the guy had on, had the 20-day tags. My son has 20, has 30-day tags on his car, I think. Um, and then the other stop, you know, they could stop you for any reason, you know, and I've talked to him many times about what to do when the police pull you over, um, where he grew up at, it was, I would say 65, 35% as far as I would say, no, let me change that. I would say it was about 20, 20% black in his area. So most of his friends were, you know, white guys, and he hung out with them, went to play basketball with them. So I always tell him, dude, whatever, whatever part of the car you're sitting in, if you get pulled over, if you're in the back seat, put your hands on the front seat. If you're in the front seat, put your hands on the on the dashboard and just sit there until they tell you to do something. It's a shame that we have to do that, but with everything that's going on, it has to happen. Um, being non- non-custodial and raising them, being that I grew up without my father, is something that I've I never wanted was for my child to grow up without me. Mm. So I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to be with somebody because of my child, because that's going to do nothing but hurt the child. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I tried to always live as close as possible to him. In Atlanta, everything in Atlanta is 20 to 40 minutes away. So I tried to stay at least 
20 to 30 minutes as close as possible to them without being right up on top of them. Mm -hmm. And um, um, that's how I did it. Um, he knew I was always a phone call away. I always told him our communication has to stay open. As he's gotten older, the communication has gotten worse because he's older now. Yeah. But um, yeah, when he was younger, um, yeah, we, we stayed in contact. Um, tried to just, you know, put as much as I could into him, you know, from afar. And then when he was with me, it was it was rough and it was rough on him too because he pretty much had to live by two different sets of rules. When he came to my house, he's one set of rules. He was at home is another set. I tried not to mess with the other set. But, you know, it, it was, I'm sure it was rough on him, but he, he's 20 years old now. He hasn't been in any trouble. Um, he's graduated school. Like I said, he's in the Air Force now. Uh, he bought his first car this year. So I feel I did a pretty good job. Uh, of course, do I think I could have done better? Yes, because I feel that the biggest room in the world is a room for improvement. So I'll never say that I did the perfect job. I'll say that I did a damn good job that's what i say um it was rough though there, there were times that i wish i could have been closer mm -hmm. to him certain things he was going through but i had to do it over the telephone um but you know the main thing i, I needed for him to know is that i'm here um, that was the main thing he, he had to know because that that wasn't what i grew up with um mm -hmm. My father wasn't even a phone call away. He just wasn't there. Um, plus the memories that I had of him, I probably wouldn't have called him if he was a phone call away. So that's the main thing with my, me and my son was keeping the lines of communication open. That's what it was. You basically want to break that generational thing. You wanted to be the father to your son that you wish that you had had exactly. as a kid. I love that. Yeah. And I love the way that you just said the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Cause I actually wrote that down to, to talk yeah. to you about, and you, you broke it. <laughs> you already said it. So yeah. why do you think that? Why is that your philosophy? That that's, that's my philosophy in life. And that's in everything that you do. Um, improving as a son, improve, improving as a friend, um, improving on your job, improving as a husband, improving as an uncle, improving as a cousin. There's no such thing as perfect, just not there in human mm -hmm. reactions, in, in human emotions, in human actions. There's no such thing as perfect. So the biggest room, only thing you can keep doing is improving. And there's, you think about how big that room is because there's nothing, you can do nothing but keep improving. There's no such thing as improvement to a point where you can't improve anymore. Even in, in money, you can keep making money forever, but you can always make more money. <laughs> improvement. <laughs> so, so again, you know, you can love, but you can always love more. You can always love differently. It's always, it's, it's improvement. So with that motto, I just keep trying to be better at everything, not just at one thing. I try and be better at everything that I do, period. So how can our country improve to get past all these racial um, strife? Huh. That's a wow. If I could answer that question, I probably wouldn't need to improve anymore. Put it that way. Because <laughs> that that question, I mean, there's so there's so much I think that needs to be done. Um, you know, 
I'm late. I'm be honest with you. I'm pretty late to the party. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been living life. If it didn't mess with me or stop me, mm-hmm. I didn't pay too much attention to it. You know, if there was some craziness going over here, you know, I just went around it instead of dealing, helping to deal with the issue. So like I said, I'm, I'm late to the party. I probably got in, into it. Um, this, this really recognizing things in this country, what's going on, I would say within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And as far as with, within the country in regards to race, again, I, I really feel that it's racism is held at a higher guard and um, I just—I hate to say this. <laughs> we have to wait for all those to die, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I don't want to say we need to go kill people, you know, the older races. But I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's got to be more understanding for one thing. Um, mm-hmm. You can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes. That's one thing nobody yeah. can do. You can't look at somebody and say, man, they, should, they, they shouldn't have done that or they shouldn't. Why, why do they do that? You don't know what you can't put yourself in their shoes. You don't know what reaction they got from somebody the day before. Um, you know, with the police officers, you know, I've always said that sometimes I think we have. That we have a lot of police officers that probably a uh, trigger away from, and when I say trigger, not shooting, they're, they're just a, 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 a situation away from just popping. If mm-hmm. not by shooting somebody, by doing something else crazy, something else stupid. Um, you know, I feel that education and law enforcement are two of the most underpaid professions in America, which mm-hmm. is crazy. I've always felt that way, especially when I was in law enforcement dealing in, in corrections. And I looked into being a police officer when I was going to move down here and I saw what they're paying them at the time. I was like, oh, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. You know, um, and people are going to be shooting at me. You're going to pay me this. You know, we we look at with education, we look at all of. We're putting the future of our world in people's hands, but yet you're not paying them pretty much anything, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so now to the point now to where we have kids teaching kids, you know, somebody mm-hmm. just graduated college, they're 22 years old, they're teaching somebody that's 17 years old. Yeah. Not too much you can really teach them these days. You know, there's a lot that that we can do or that needs to be done. But I think first and foremost, it has to be an under have to learn how to understand mm-hmm. you can't. Yeah, understand and respect. That's it. Because mm-hmm. you have to respect something that somebody's going through because you really can't go through it yourself to understand what they're going through. So you have to respect, you know, some people's actions and some people's reactions. And um, so that's what I feel. We have to give uh, uh, give more understanding and more respect to one another. I think what that's done to start off with, people will at least be calm enough to have a conversation. Yeah, I, that's where I think I think people they they want to believe the worst in everybody, and mm-hmm. so they don't want to sit down and actually just have a conversation with somebody to find right. out to learn about them. Exactly. 
Yeah. And then going back to what you were talking about, the police, they've got to the point now where they're most of them don't live in the communities that they police. So they don't know what any anybody else. I don't know if you remember, but my dad was the chief of police in Richlands when we were growing mm -hmm. up. Yeah. And, you know, he knew he knew everybody in the community. Yep. And we moved. We moved to Pikeville and he still knew everybody in the community. He was sit down. With the, my mom used to joke and said he had girlfriends under eight and over 80. He would <laughs> sit down with the older people and just have a glass of sweet tea, check on them. They ain't seen them out in a while. And yeah. there's police officers now that don't do that. Mm -mm. There's a lot of police officers now that they became they became a cop for a job. Mm -hmm. And not saying that everybody that's a police officer should, you know, grow up wanting to be a police officer, but some people I think just have became police officers because that was the best job there. And mm -hmm. usually when that happens, sooner or later, they're going to burn out, you know, of yeah. doing it, you know, um, no different than the military. Um, I feel that a lot of people, me included, I went into the military to keep from doing something else in life. I didn't go into the military because I wanted to fight for this country. And um, that's why I didn't retire. That's why I got out. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that's the same thing with police officers, man. I mean, now some may go in for that reason, but then all of a sudden they recognize this is what I, I'm good at it and I can be mm -hmm. good at it, you know, but everybody's not set out to be a police officer because, and again, there's a lot of pressures on police officers, you know, they have to wear so many hats, Yeah, a lot of hats, you know, they have to be friend, they have to be psychiatrist, you know, they have to be um, a medic, uh, you know, there's a lot, you know, and so everybody's not set out for that, you know, so but again, understanding and respect, you got to have those two things for this, for anything to get better in this world, in this country. If you could talk to your younger self, your high school self, what was the one thing that you would tell them, tell him? I would tell him to go to college. Not that I regret going into the military, but I just, I know for a fact that my life would have been totally different if I would have gone to college. Um, I would tell him to reconnect with his father at a younger age. Mm. that's one of the main things because I'm going to tell you after I went when I went to counseling everything started to get better but after I went and saw my pops and came back to Atlanta I tell people this all the time it was like looking at standard definition and then the world seemed like it was in 4K. Mm. First it was in HD, and then I went to see my pops and came back and it was in 4K. I just felt so, it's just, it was something that was in me or on me that I had no idea was there. And it just really released me to try different things. It released me to just be open. Um, it released me to allow others in. It just, it changed my life. Counseling changed my life, seriously. So, well, so I guess I should say I should have went to counseling at a younger age. But yeah, I, I think if I would have done that, say at 30, 20 something or 30 years old, wow, 
um, yeah, it would have changed my life. I, I feel that I was running from something that whole time. Even though I was having a great time running, I really was. I was having a ball. But I wasn't making grown-up decisions in regards to my future at the time. You know, I was just, you know, living. You know, I was living Monday to Thursday so that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday I could have a good time. That's basically what I was doing. I, and, you know, spent my money the same way. Um, I did some craziness. Um, I did some illegal things, especially when I was in North Carolina right before I moved to Atlanta. I was doing some stupid stuff. Um, luckily, uh, I, I know that God stepped in because my mother found out and because of upsetting her so much, that's the reason why I stopped. It wasn't the police. I didn't go to jail. Now, what I was doing, I could have went to jail, mm -hmm. but upsetting her was worse than going to jail for me. I knew I could have went to jail and I was doing the legal stuff. But as soon as she found out that I was doing illegal stuff, I stopped and I went to church and I apologized to her and I apologized to my church. I moved to Atlanta three weeks later. Wow. I haven't, I haven't looked back. Seriously. Yep. <laughs> now, yep. we're almost up. Time's almost up. But I want to ask you, what teacher at Richlands High School? Miss Loomis. Miss Loomis. <laughs> You actually did not even, you not Mr. B, English, right? Miss Loomis, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, when they ask you those, when you setting up a password and they ask you those questions, uh -huh. you know, what was your, what, what street did you grow up on? There's always in there, what was your favorite teacher? And all I have to do is, is Loomis, period. That was my favorite, Miss Loomis was my favorite teacher. And I only had her once, <laughs> but she was my favorite teacher. I could go back and forth to her. Now there was a lot of other teachers that was fun. Uh, Mr. Newton, Miss uh, mm -hmm. Newton. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Coach Ellis, because he got me through science. I mean, um, not science. Yeah, science. He got me through so that I could graduate, to be honest with you, <laughs> probably because I was a good tailback for him, but he got me through. <laughs> but Miss, Mr. Newton, he didn't get me through. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of teachers that was fun that I remember, but Miss Loomis, man, I, 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 you saw how quickly I said her name, yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And yeah. the fact that you could still remember that name, I mean, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. 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 So now, one thing, one thing I always remember though, is, um, what was it, Dr. Johnson, athletic director? Yep. When, when. The um, weather was changing and people started wearing shorts to school and he would always say the sap is rising, you know, to make sure that people don't get too frisky. I remember that. That's one thing I'll always remember. I still say that to this day. You know, um, I don't have a daughter. I have a stepdaughter. So now, as this weather's getting better, I let her know, hey, you know, the sap is rising. She was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Just watch yourself. <laughs> Now, I got to ask, did you do um, driver's ed with Mr. White? I did. Uh, wait, wait, did I? Wait a minute. I didn't. I'm sorry. I did not. I knew him. Mm -hmm. But I actually, because of my birthday, I actually did driver's ed over the summer. Oh. Yeah, I did it over the summer. But I, I knew of him. He knew of me. And, um, yeah, I knew of some of the crazy stories. With, but, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if there's one last thing you want to leave people with, what would you say? One last little nugget. My other motto. Try and make at least five people smile a day. If you make five people smile a day, that means you're creating laughter. So that means you have to be laughing or smiling yourself. And if you can do that, you're going to keep a lot of stresses off of you. And if you can keep stress off, off of you, you're going to make clearer decisions and you'll just be able to move a lot further, a lot faster. And I will say, James, you have not changed since high school. You're just as genuine as you were in high school as you uh, are right now. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm hoping to stay that way. People say, man, when you make money, you're going to do this. I said, no, when I make money, I'm still going to be looking for discounts. But I want to get one half off. <laughs> I'm still going to be doing the same thing, man. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm just, well, it's the, you know, being raised in a single mother household and seeing what she did to, to raise me and to make sure to make me not even recognize that I didn't have as much as others. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't recognize that to afterwards. And seeing that out of her, it just keeps me humble. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'll never try and feel that I'm better than anybody. What it is, is I, I honestly, I still trip out when people tell me you're handsome or you look good, or I walk out modeling something and they go crazy over it. <laughs> it's still, it's, it's, it's a great feeling, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, I still, you know, feel a little, you know, people that represent me, they keep telling me you have to do more on social media. I'm like, man, I don't be wanting to do all that. And people go thinking that I'm thinking, but just the humbleness in me. I'm, I'm just a humble cat, regular dude that work 40 hours a week. But I have a great time working those 40 hours, I promise you. <laughs> so, which brings me to, what is your day job then? I am an inside sales rep. Um, I worked for a company in dental um, for 20 years. Pandemic hit, got laid off, um, furloughed, then laid off. And now I'm working for another company that's in the dental field where we actually sell um, dental software um, okay. to dental offices. Yeah. Okay. So on the side, you model. So you get the best of both worlds pretty much, don't you? Yeah. And I like to say that my day job is my second job. I like to say that other stuff I work a lot harder at. I love that. And I'm sure once you hit it big, you're going to make sure your mom is taken care of. Oh, yeah. I, that, that's that's the urgency on it. That That's that's all the urgency that's on it. That's why I'm working real hard at it. I'm doing more studying than I've done in the past. The pandemic, I've actually, I'm actually writing now. So um, I've never wrote my own book. So I'm writing now thinking about doing it as a book, but I'm also thinking about doing it as a screenplay. So, uh, mm. yeah, I'm try, trying to find some different revenues. Me and my wife, we're doing some different things in the cigar world, um, creating our own brand. I'm looking to start my own. We're trying to start our own cigar line. So, yeah, it, it's done. it hasn't stopped. It hasn't wow. stopped. It, I, I'm, Steve Harvey says something to me that, 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 that stayed with me. We was at Family Feud and it was at the end of it. And I went over to him and shook his hand and he said, hey man, he said, I just want to tell you, he said, I, I, I said something about you. He said, you got a good spirit, man. And he said, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And he said, you know, I see that gray in your face. He said, but just remember this, look at the Colonel 
picture on Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm -hmm. He started KFC when he was really old. He said, so don't ever think that you're getting too old to do anything. So that stuck with me. So I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep trying. You know, I'm, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna keep grinding at it and see what happens. Yeah, and you you I can't wait to have you back on when you talk about your screenplay or you published your book or even your cigar line. I would love to have you and your wife on together because I think that's something that's you don't see a lot of um husbands and wives going yeah. in business together. Yeah, and it's funny you said that. My wife is number one supporter. My number one. I call her the um, CEO of Classic. But she's so camera shy. It is the most amazing. When we're out and she is talking to everybody and she has a great time. First time we did an interview together, she forgot her name. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, Hi, I'm Kaya. I'm Kaya. I was like, Oh my God. She's, yeah, she's camera shy. She's, she's really camera shy. Um, at my shows, um, I will always recognize her and have her stand up. She, be, she don't want to stand up. She, yeah, she, she's camera shy, but yeah. Well, microphone shy, I guess I should say. She'll get in front of a camera. She takes a lot of pictures, but yeah, she's microphone shy. Uh, yeah. So James, I want to thank you for spending this time with me today and catching up a little bit about Richlands. Cause I mean, honestly, it seems like it does. It seems like it was yesterday, but it was yesterday a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be making, I think I'm going to make a trip home maybe April. I think next month I'm going to, I think I'm going to make a trip home next month. Um, Go see my mom. I'm gonna go shopping. I love going going home to go shopping for food, then bring it back here. <laughs> yeah, so I think I'll be making me a trip back real soon. Yeah, my sister still. One of my older sisters still lives down there, but we live up in Goldsboro now, and still okay. in North Carolina though. But still. So, like I said, thank you so much for being on. I just, it just meant so much to me. And actually, I have another one of our high school schoolmates who was little bit younger than us, Wanda Calloway coming on on Monday. Do you remember Wanda? She was a cheerleader. Yeah, I thought this. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember she left. She was cheering for the Redskins at one time, wasn't mm -hmm. she? And she was, yeah. she, she was on um, WRAL TV and My Carolina Today yeah, TV. Yeah, and I heard about it. Yeah. Written a, a book and everything. Okay. Okay, we see we out there. Richlands is out there. We doing Rich it. Richlands is out there. Yeah, we are sure. <laughs> yeah, we doing it. We doing it. Well, listen, I I, I appreciate it big time. Um, anytime you need me for anything, let me know. If I can help you with anything, just let me know, and um, hopefully I can return the favor soon. Yep. Anytime, anytime. You're welcome to come back on anytime. So, guys, Thank we. You. We will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Y'all, I really enjoyed talking to James. James was a couple years ahead of me in school. And as you saw, as you heard in the interview, he is actually graduated with my sister. I didn't realize who they were in the same grade. I thought he was a year ahead of her. But I really, it just reminds you that, you know, Southern towns, a lot of people in the South get really bad reps for being 
prejudiced and racist and stereotypical, but they're not. They're really a lot of great people are born and raised in the South. And that's one of the things I wanted to share with you about this. Um, I want to use my platform to bring awareness and knowledge to every issue that anybody can face in their lifetime. And the fact that James agreed to come on, not really knowing what we we're going to talk about, but basically just talking about his experiences. And you saw during this course of the conversation, we talked about domestic violence. We talked about being raised by a single mom, being raised in the South, moving from New York to um, Richlands, North Carolina, a very tiny, small town um, in Richlands. We talked about the teachers that made the most impact on him. We talked about... Um, his relationship with his son that he, you know, and how he had to heal from his relationship with his dad before he was able to open up his heart and um, get remarried. And I really love this whole conversation. Um, it's just a great conversation. It shows that we all can have something to learn from each other. And we all just need to sit around and listen to each other and listen to our stories. I mean, we can't, honestly, I would never know what it's like to, to grow up like James grew up, but, I can empathize and I can learn and I can listen to his stories and give value to his stories because guys, when you actually sit down and listen to someone, you are telling them they are worthy, that they are, they have value in your life. And honestly, that is the most important thing is value, giving people value, value, telling them they're worthy regardless of where they're from, what their background is. I mean, I've had so many amazing conversations, amazing conversations, amazing conversations on, uh, on chats on the block cabin. I have many more amazing ones coming up. So I really hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with James. I keep using the word conversation because I want you to go and listen to classic conversations. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes exactly where you can go listen to it at. Um, I also put a link in the show notes about the book. Um, it's a, series of stories and his is a uh, quick I'm going to say a five minute read but you learn a lot about him from there and I really really want to thank you for being part of the podcast family please like leave a review subscribe wherever you listen to it at and if you want to hop over to YouTube and click subscribe there and watch the live video go right ahead but most importantly I want you to know that you are worthy that you are valued and regardless of if you don't subscribe, if you don't, I still value you. And thank you for tuning in. With that said, be blessed. And remember, keep chatting.